Good morning again, everybody. Glad that you've joined us. I don't know about you, but it's always crazy for me to think how fast time is going. We're already in the fourth month of the year, and Easter's in just a couple of weeks. Helps you to really appreciate the time that you do have and being able to slow down a little bit. Um, as I say that, let's get right into our message. <laughs> no other intro, really. But today we're going to be starting into diving into the series a little bit deeper into the gifts of the Spirit as we talk about the gifts individually within 1 Corinthians 12. So you can, you can turn there for right now. Um, kind of as we went through in Romans, we're just going to go through one at a time usually and just kind of expound upon um, those individual gifts, meanings, look for different uses within Scripture uh, to give us a good background. Um, looking to how God has used people in the past um, so that we can gain a greater understanding. And we see um, the first gift there in chapter or in verse 8 of chapter 12. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, a word of wisdom. The Greek there is logos sophias. Um, and you know, really when we think about this gift, many times we look to that next gift as well, the, the utterance of knowledge, and we try to combine these two together. Uh, we treat them oftentimes as being synonymous. Um, the Old Testament treats the words in a very similar way, so it can bring about confusion a little bit in terms of meaning and understanding and how to understand this term. But our first, most basic observation should be that there are two terms here wisdom, and knowledge. And they're listed that way for a reason. You know, when we think about these two words, we have to recognize the differences and the fact that we understand that there's differences. We recognize it when we see it many times. We not, may not be able to explain it, you know, but I'm sure that you've all met somebody that's really smart, but at the same time really dumb. Or they do really dumb things. And you wonder how that can be. You know, sometimes people can read a million books and be experts in their field, but not very wise. The classic example of this is when you find doctors or nurses who smoke. You know, you think about how well they know the healthcare system, they know what it does to the body, yet they still fall prey to this and they smoke. Think about... Maybe as you get a little bit more experienced in your driving and you no longer use turn signals, you just merge. Or maybe texting and driving, guilty. Not the wisest thing to do. In today's day and age, we're surrounded by wisdom and wise sayings or people trying to say something that sounds smart so they can have their 15 minutes of fame. We have many sayings throughout history that we can recognize as being wise or something very obvious. You know, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Lao Tzu. One from Napoleon that I really liked. Never interrupt your enemy when he is making a mistake. <laughs> and that was Napoleon Bonaparte, not Napoleon Dynamite, just so you know. <laughs> the only true wisdom is knowing you know nothing from Socrates. 
He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot, the missionary. You know, we have all of these types of sayings around us. We have the, the wisdom literature in the Bible, the book of Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes. They have added to understanding of what wisdom is in our life. So it's not like we don't have resources, but what is a word of wisdom? That's what I want us to ponder as we open up in prayer. Father, as we go to your word, I pray that you would continue to open up our eyes and hearts to your truths that you would bring wisdom into our lives, that we would understand the working of your Spirit um, as dictated by your Word, to guide us, to lead us, and that we would obey, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as we contemplate and, and ponder what is a word of wisdom, what is an utterance of wisdom, I think as we start most of these uh, messages, we're going to try to define our terms a little bit better so that we can be on the same page, so that we can understand what we're talking about. According to Noah Webster in 1828, um, he's, the main definition that he has for wisdom is the right use or exercise of knowledge. You know, that's kind of the basic definition of wisdom. He continues to go a little bit further as he describes it. He says, it is the choice of laudable ends and the best means to accomplish them. If wisdom is to be considered faculty of the mind, it is the faculty of discerning or judging what is most just, proper, and useful. If it is considered an acquirement, it is the knowledge of use of what is best, most just, proper, and most conducive to prosperity or happiness. He finds examples and describes it in Scripture as it is human learning in a deep and extensive way, using knowledge. In theology, it is good religion, godliness, piety, and the knowledge and fear of God and sincere and uniform obedience to His commands. So our basic definition, again, we understand knowledge is about accumulating facts, Wisdom is the proper use of those facts. So we'll talk a bit about that a little bit more next week when we get into the word of knowledge. But as we have this working definition of it, let's try to understand and unpack this a little bit deeper when it comes to our faith. First of all, wisdom is central to the nature of God, and we need to understand that. There are over 200 uses of the word wisdom in the Bible. Um, Many of the the verses that deal with wisdom talk about God, and it shows us in Scripture how God uses wisdom. In Proverbs 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. So we see creation being formed through His wisdom. In Psalm 104, it speaks more to the creation as He says, O Lord, how manifold are Your works! In wisdom... Have you made them all? The earth is full of your creatures. So it is in wisdom that he has created all things. We find many verses in the Bible that compare the wisdom of man to the wisdom of God and shows how the wisdom of man does not um, compare. 
how it doesn't hold up. You know, we have to understand how wisdom is inherent in God. That needs to be the basic understanding that we have as we approach this. Any human wisdom that we find is only possible because of the divine wisdom that's present within creation or given by the Father. This is why in the book of Proverbs, both wisdom and knowledge begin with what? The fear of the Lord. We understand that's where it begins. There's this holy reverence when it comes to God that we have to acknowledge. Otherwise, it's just our earthly reasoning that takes over and masks as wisdom. But it misses that key component of God. This is the contrast that could be seen throughout history with your sophists in the Greek culture, for instance, your Socrateses, your Plato's. They would use human reason to try to, dis- to define things, to try to become the wisest among the world at that time. Within the Greeks, the mentality was that the humans could become great because of the wisdom that they possessed, because of their intellectual thinking. They could become like gods. Whereas within the Hebrew culture and their societies, the strength of their wisdom was based on the reverence of God, the acknowledgement that He exists and that He is the Creator. That was the important starting point that they would have in terms of their understanding of wisdom. Within the Old Testament culture, there was this development of the mind which expanded the knowledge to add in the purpose of life. So you had the intellectual aspects of it, but then you added in the moral component where you were living out to those values, to those morals that were set by God, that were given through the Ten Commandments, that was written down through the law. That was their basis of wisdom. And they understood that that was a gift from God. And throughout Scripture, you see the contrast between the wise and the foolish people. Those who followed God's ways, those who didn't. Those who were God-fearing, those who were scoffers. Those who are in Christ, those who are not. So we look at this, how a, a word of wisdom is the first gift mentioned by Paul. And as we approach the spiritual gifts in this way, we want to find a consistent way of how we're dealing with Scripture to understand, to truly understand how all things are coming from the Father. He is the starting point. He is the beginning. That's where we must start our basis. That's where we have to firmly be rooted. I saw a wonderful quote from Tozer this week relating to the gifts as well as time, possessions, opportunities, and relating it in a way to the parable of the talents as I saw it. And he says this, he says, To each of us, God has issued a certain store as it has pleased him, to one more, to another less. And since God owes us nothing, anything he gives us may be put down to his unearned generosity. The man with a smaller store dare not complain against God for having given him less than his neighbor received. God's gifts are not debts which he pays us, but gratuities bestowed out of pure mercy One thing taught large in Scripture is that while God gives us His gifts freely, He will require a strict accounting of them at the end of the road. Each man is personally responsible for his store, be it large or small, and will be required to explain his use of it before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, as I read that this week, I thought of 
how am I using the wisdom that God has given me, let alone the other gifts, let alone the grace, the charis, the charismata of God? How am I using these things that He has given me to be a blessing to others, to advance His kingdom forward? How do we treat the grace that's given to us? You know, as we're going through this understanding, I want to look at some different passages in Scripture. Uh, The first few I'm going to have up on the screen. You don't have to flip there. You can. Um, But it's just going to be some um, high points within some of the Scriptures to go through to see how wisdom is used. The first instance is in Exodus chapter 28, verse 3, where it says, You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, and they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. That term skill can also be translated as wisdom or wise. So we see how the spirit of wisdom is given to these people to make the things for Aaron. In the same line, um, in Deuteronomy 34, verse 9, it says, And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, See, God had blessed certain people with wisdom. Um, And even the nation of Israel, they were blessed as a nation. Um, They were given wisdom in terms of the Ten Commandments. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses is telling the people to keep the statutes, to keep the laws, to keep the Ten Commandments that were given to them. And it says, keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So we see a very key component to how the Israelites were to live. It wasn't just knowledge, but wisdom. Their wisdom was predicated on them doing the knowledge, doing the Ten Commandments, obeying the Word of God. That's not an idea that was new to this stage with Moses. It goes back to the time of Abraham as well in Genesis 12, the calling of Abraham. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. You know, God has been intimately involved in humanity, and he shares wisdom with some so that they will be a blessing to others, so that, uh, so that they will share God's wisdom. God is the source. And I think that we have to understand this first before we can understand the utterance of wisdom, the gift of wisdom. God is the source. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Now, hopefully we can see some of this consistency from God calling Abraham to the giving of the law and how they would be wise by doing the law. Now, turn over to Colossians chapter 2. read the first five verses of Colossians chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you 
and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches and of full assurance of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom, all are, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So within that passage, where is the treasure of wisdom? Where is it hidden? In Christ. Where are we as believers? Through the blood of Christ, shed on the cross to pay for our sins, we are justified and in Him. We bear His righteousness. He has given us the Spirit of God to teach us all truth. That would be knowledge. He then empowers us to act upon that truth. That would be wisdom. So we get to then the understanding of sharing a word of wisdom. Where must it come from? God, not ourselves. Now, can wisdom be found in the natural realm? Sure. But its roots must be found in God, the creator of heaven and earth. What do I mean by that? Let's break that down a little bit. So let's say you're outside, you're taking a walk, and you look up and the clouds are getting a little bit darker. And then you hear some rumblings. Knowledge might tell you that though the certain type of clouds. Knowledge might tell you the sound you're hearing is thunder. Wisdom might tell you you need to find some shelter because a storm's getting coming along. Now you can base that wisdom off of past experiences. What you've experienced in the past, I know this to be true. This is my wisdom. You can absolutely do that. We do that all the time without even thinking about it. Think about the breath that you breathe. Where does it come from? How often are we thanking God for that breath? After every single one we take? I don't know about you, but if I run, I start breathing pretty fast. It is God who sends the rain. It is God who gives us the breath that we breathe. Many times we do take that for granted, but in a believer's heart and mind, we know the source of it. We might not always express that in each time. So when we think about wisdom and an utterance of wisdom, it's not going to be about your lucky numbers for the lottery coming up this week. But instead, it's going to be something that draws somebody back to God. It's going to be rooted in Christ, in the gospel, pulling it back to God and the attributes of Him. An utterance of wisdom helps to reveal more about God in a person's life, where they would be acting upon uh, what they're hearing, different ways in which they need to be living, utilizing the knowledge that they have. Let's look at um, a couple of different examples. Um, go ahead and turn to First or First Kings, chapter three. So as we understand how wisdom needs to be rooted in God, 
Um, when we look at an utterance of wisdom, we can be a little bit more picky in terms of what we're defining as wisdom or what we're defining as from the Spirit. So let's look at some popular examples. Um, in 1 Kings 3, it'd be hard to have a message on wisdom and not talk about Solomon as being the wisest person that we know of. In 1 Kings 3, we see his prayer to God. Um, you look at verse 9, how he's praying for being able to discern between good and evil and having an understanding mind. And then you see in verse 12, God's reply to that. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind. Now let's read this next section beginning in verse 16, how he puts this to use. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, O oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house, only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept, and laid him at her breast, and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, No, the living child is mine, and the dead child is yours. The first said, No, the dead child is yours, and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, the one says, this is my son that is alive, your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead, and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king, and the king said, divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, O oh my lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is the mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment of, that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. I really like how that story ends. I mean, it's very familiar in terms of we've heard the story many times, but we rarely focus on the response of the people. They're left in awe. And look what it says. The people perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. You think back to the definitions that we talked about in the beginning, how it is the faculty of discerning or judging what is most just, proper, and useful. You know, wisdom is dealing with the things of God. The things of God are just. They are holy. They are righteous. They are proper. Again, the things of wisdom is rooted in Christ and his gospel, pulling people back to the nature of God, understanding what that means. Let's look at a New Testament example. Turn to Luke chapter 20.
Luke chapter 20, I'm going to begin in verse 19. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him, and they sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something that he said so as to deliver him up to the authorities and jurisdictions of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. Now with a lot of the gifts, you're going to find some different overlap. And as you look at verse 23, as it says that Jesus perceived, we can also say that Jesus is discerning. You know, discerning is judging between right and wrong, so you're going to have a lot of similarities in between that as well. But he is using wisdom as he is teaching them about money and calling people to give to God what is God's. And again, look at the people's response. They are marveling at his answer. Wisdom has the effect where it's like it's turning on all of these light bulbs in your head. Like you have this aha moment where it's a new-to-you type of revelation where you finally understand something. One that causes us to marvel. And one that can be dangerous. You know, there's some warnings I want to give us today. As we define uh, an utterance of wisdom that comes from the Spirit, we understand that it is wisdom from God and not from us. Now, that might seem obvious, but let's detail how this is played out sometimes. Because you can come from a place where you've had a lot of time of preparation, where you have a lot of knowledge, where you've read, where you've memorized, where you have degrees and you live life in a righteous way. You can have a lot to say that you are wise. It could be biblical, but it could still all be from you. You could be enamored in how people might be marveling at the things that you're saying. We see this a lot in, our, in the megachurches where pastors become like celebrities and they live and they feed off of that. And you want to share wisdom because it's prideful, because it's pointing things back to you rather than glorifying God. But with the utterance or the word of wisdom, it's the Spirit who would be recalling things to your mind, giving you the words of what to say. You know, it's very closely related to a word of knowledge in that aspect. There have been many instances that I've stepped into, not knowing what to say, not knowing what to do, but through prayer, through listening, through patience, the Lord has provided some things to say or things not to say. Sometimes silence is a form of wisdom. I often think of Job's friends when it comes to wisdom. One of the best things that they did was be silent for seven days, mourning with Job. It takes patience. It takes leaning on the Spirit to know when not to say something. But then you read through Job, 
and you realize the wisdom that they had at the time, how they understood things. Oh, Job, you must have sinned, because why else would all this have happened to you? That's what they knew at the time. So that's what they were basing things off of. But you know, when I go through different situations, let's say it's counseling marriages. As I have counseled many marriages in the past, I can treat them very generally. Okay, this is the problem, this is the solution. This is the problem, this is the solution. Make it a a one-size-fits-all type of thing. And it could work in some situations. But that's, again, more towards psychology. That's more towards my understanding of human nature. That's more towards my understanding of the individual's. And not necessarily a word of wisdom from, from God, from the Spirit, where I'm then relying on my own power. You know, the, the same can be in any sermon that you see. Pastors are designed and trained to speak in ways to convince people. And it could be for show. It could be just to get through something. Or a pastor could be used by God in strong ways to relate truths of the gospel, to push us outside of our own self, whatever position our self is in at that time, to grow closer to the Father. We could be used as a vessel, just like any of us can be used as a vessel with any type of gift. Remember, this isn't an exhaustive list found in Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12. A word of wisdom guides people into action, where they will see how the Spirit is calling them to the Father. And again, another word of warning. And I want to mention this most weeks as we go through this. You want to memorize 1 John 4, 1, understanding what that says. I don't know if I have this one on there or not. I think it's the other ones. But it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. By this, you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. You know, the Spirit is not going to cause a person to stumble or speak against the Word of God. The truth can be a stumbling block for people because of our own stubbornness, because of our own pride, because of them resisting. The Spirit will always speak that truth. And as we think of wisdom, um, you know, it's a given, I think, for us sitting in the church that we accept the wisdom of God. As we talked about last week, there might be some differences in some of our understandings, but for the most part, I would say that we recognize the wisdom of God when we hear it. However, the world around us will not. And those influences will try to get us to reject his wisdom. In this account of Stephen, oh, wrong one. In the account of Stephen in Acts 6, verses 8 through 10. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it is called, and the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and those from Sicilia, 
and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit in which he was speaking. You see, the people do not want to accept the wisdom of God. Those who are perishing, to those who are perishing, the cross is foolishness. Wisdom is taken as foolishness. And they stone Stephen as they're rebelling against the wisdom of God. So perhaps this is a warning of be careful what you pray for in terms of understanding the wisdom. Because the world, even maybe some of those who claim to follow God, if you brush up against their worldviews and how they're living their life, won't like it. They will reject it because they are rejecting God. So we need to be careful, or not be careful, we need to be ready for the persecution that is going to be coming our way as we are living in the truth. And also recognize those own moments of stubbornness that we might still have. But Paul is frequently praying for people to receive wisdom. In Ephesians 1, 16 and 17, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And then in Colossians 1, 9, And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is the heart and the prayer for, for Paul, from Paul to the church, to be living in the wisdom of God. You know, and as you reflect on your own life, how are we living in the wisdom of God? Or are we living in our own wisdom? Are we depending on ourselves for how we're doing things? Oftentimes we might even tear ourselves down saying, well, I'm not smart or I'm not wise. Well, the answer for that is James 1, 5. If any of you lacks, lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives graciously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So we don't have any excuse. Seek the wisdom from God. Be in the word. We don't have an excuse to not be walking as Christians in the spirit. If we have an issue with it, then we're probably walking in our own vain pursuits. You know, as with all of the gifts, when we think about this word of wisdom, I think that's going to be found in prayer. As we're walking with the Lord, where the Spirit will give us the words to say, and He will give you the boldness to take those next steps in your faith, to live in the righteousness of Christ. You know, I can't just come up here and share this is the absolute formula for how to do an utterance of wisdom or a gift of healing or a thing of knowledge, other than to say what I've already been saying this whole time. It's dependent upon your walk with the Spirit dependent upon your relationship with Him, where you're going to be following the Spirit's prompting and putting things into practice. You know, just like last August when we talked about evangelism, we can know 50 different ways to evangelize, but never do it. That's knowledge. You know, when we think about our faith, it's just like exercise. We need to exercise our bodies to be stronger. We need to exercise our faith to, get, to grow deeper, to become stronger in our faith. It's the same type of principle. But all of that has to be rooted in God and nothing else. So this morning, I pray 
that the Lord would give you a word of wisdom to share with somebody this week, that you would have those opportunities to live out your faith, to be the blessing that God calls us to be, to share the grace that we have been given, whether that's sharing the gospel message, whether that's speaking into somebody's life, where you've been praying for them, knowing that they're struggling with certain sins. I pray that God can give you the words to say, that the Spirit can prompt in your heart to help a brother or sister in Christ in that way, to build up the body, to encourage them, for that is the purpose of these gifts. Let's pray. Father, as we continue in this series, I thank you for how you continue to draw us closer to you each and every day. Lord, I ask that you would bring understanding to our hearts and minds, that as we look at these examples in Scripture, that we can, we can see how your grace moves through your people, and it moves in wondrous and marveling ways. Lord, I pray that as people see us, they see you, and that they would be marveling at you that we would be bold to stand up for your truth, that we would be bold to stand up for your name, for it is at your name that every knee shall bow. Lord, I pray for the hearts of those around us that don't know you. I pray that you would prepare them today, that you would continue to give us opportunities and that we would have the eyes to see them Lord, and we would jump on those because of our walk being so fervent with you. Lord, continue to draw us closer. Draw us into your wisdom, into your truth so that it just becomes a part of who we are. So that we can be your mouthpiece to a lost and hurting world. your name I pray.